Amen. So now on this very uh, cool, sun, sunny Southern California morning, we are going to stand together to hear the word of our Father, maker of heaven and earth, turn to an unforgettable story. It's found in Genesis chapter 32, uh, verses 22 to 32. Genesis chapter 32, we will begin with verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overcome him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and people and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God's face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of the hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. And this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right, this morning's message is something I think I can boil it down to this, uh, that life changes when you have a personal encounter with God. That it is a personal meeting with God that leads to you responding to God as God that really leads to your life becoming different from what it was. And I think one of, one of the very few things that I don't know of any things that are more important when you go to church on any Sunday morning anywhere than to come to grips with this, whether this is true of you, whether you have had a personal and genuine encounter with God. I mean, one that continues even today to shape your life and, and to direct your life. I mean, Jesus came to make us alive to God. He came to introduce you and me to God so that we can know God as our Father. Uh, are you experiencing that? Now, now, to guide us today, we're going to come to this very well-known story of Jacob's personal encounter with God. God. God was willing to enter into his life and not give up on him. And yet, at the same time, Jacob was a scoundrel. Have you noticed that? This is our sixth week with this man. 
So let me tell you something about the way the Bible tells the stories about its main characters. It, it tells us stories about its main characters in ways very different from the way other wor world religions usually do that. In, in other world religions, when you have stories about characters, they usually tell us how, how great and powerful and perfect they are so that we can say, wow, that's an amazing person, or uh, they're so perfect that, that we think I've, I've got to become like that person. But I'll tell you, in some of these Bible stories, we see almost nobody who is living an exemplary life because the Bible doesn't hide the flaws of its main characters. Have you ever noticed that? So here already, I want you to make very careful note of this anytime you read the stories of the Bible. The intent of the Bible is not to tell you about all these perfect people so that you and I can say wow about them or try to say I want to become like that person. The Bible tells us about very, very imperfect people and how God actually loves them and how God meets them and how they begin to find a new life through faith in him. So that when you hear these stories, what we should really look for is ourselves. Because have you noticed that you and I are not all that perfect ourselves? Can I have a witness here? I mean, we too, like these Bible characters, if the Bible told our story and got the insides of our story right out there in the open, we would find ourselves just as much in need of mercy and in need of a personal meeting with God as they were. Now, now, this story of Jacob, I'll tell you, I, I think it's the most vivid example of just how imperfect people can really be. I mean, he never did anything that was very right, but, but God never gave up on him. Do you love that? And today we're going to see the night when it seems to me that Jacob's life was actually turned around. And, and it, again, it, it happened as it always does when he had a personal meeting with God. So I want to think about the setting of the encounter first. It was a time of trouble with him. Now, when we come to this episode, Genesis chapter 32, you've got to remember 20 years earlier, the same Jacob had swindled his brother Esau out of the family inheritance. Uh, Esau found out about it, and I'll tell you, he swore he was going to kill that younger brother. So when you come to this story, you've got to remember back to that faith-filled date 20 years before that Jacob had to flee from his hometown to try to save his own life. Um, he went to his mother's brother Laban and to that whole family, and since that time that he had swindled his brother, he had gotten married uh, twice. <laughs> he had become very, very wealthy as well, but at the same time, he was still Jacob, and if you read through the chapters, uh, he continued to have the same kind of problems with Jacob and that part of the family as he had had with the earlier part of the family, and he had to leave. He had to leave that area in Haran, up in the northern part of that place where he had been, and he was headed back home. You can read all about this in Genesis 30 to 32. So here, today, and I have a map up here so you can sort of look at it and, and think about it. As Jacob and his entourage are going from that northern part, you see, can you see Herod? You have to have good eyes, way up in the top. And he is heading down south, 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 all the way. He is getting near this place, down near the bottom, that he will eventually call Peniel. You, you, know, you can imagine what was happening. Can you feel it? Um, he knows that he's going to have to meet Esau. 
And you know what he does? He, he sends a few messengers to Esau to find out if Esau is still angry after all those years. And you know, the only response that he got was that Esau was one day away with 400 soldiers. What do you think about that? It's not all that optimistic, is it? So you know what Jacob did? Jacob was Jacob. He turned to scheming and planning. He wondered what he might do. We'll keep that map up here for a while to try to minimize the damage. So what he did, because he had this huge caravan, he had become so wealthy. So he had all these animals, he had all these servants who were there. So as he came down, he divided all of his entourage into two groups. He left them over here on the west side of the river, if you can see that little river that is there, and he separated these two groups into two very di different places, pretty far away from one another, and he alone stayed over on the east side. And you know why he did it? He said, if, if Esau comes with these 400 soldiers, they'll probably just be able to find one of the groups, and they'll kill all of them, and then they'll have, have a whole other group, and I'll still have some wealth, and I can still survive. What do you think about this man? What a scoundrel he was. He was willing to give up half of his entourage just to save his own neck. So that was a part of his plan. I don't know what you think of it. But then he added to that plan. He kept thinking about this. So he decided, maybe I can appease my older brother with these extravagant gifts. So he sent first 220 goats with a group of messengers. I can't even imagine trying to keep those goats together, but they went there, and uh, he went there to tell, and sent them with a message. Tell Esau, I'm sending this gift to you to try to make up for what I did for you so long ago. And then about a half hour later, he sent 220 sheep with other messengers and with the same message. Then he sent yet another group with camels, followed by cows, and then by bulls, and then by donkeys. So all these extravagant gifts coming in waves. I think he hopes to just sort of beat down his brother Esau with these extravagant gifts trying to take away his anger. So on this day before meeting Esau, I mean, Jacob was out there plotting, scheming. This is what Jacob always did, uh, trying to do everything he could do with his own intellect, with his own strength to solve the mess. So as we come to our passage today, Genesis uh, 32, verse 22, it's almost nightfall. He has sent everybody away onto the other side of the river, and he is absolutely alone. So you've got to see it. It's the night before the battle, or the anticipated battle. Can, can, you, can you put yourself into Jacob's shoes right here? I mean, have you ever found yourself in a mess that even though you might be blaming everybody else, you know a lot of what you have done has gotten you in that mess. You, you, you've got to own up to it. And you know deep down in the, your heart that you deserve whatever's going to come, but you still try to figure out how, how you can get this behind you. You might even show up to church at Lake Avenue Church at 9 o'clock, and you promise God, listen, God, if you get me out of this mess, I'll never do that stuff again, and I'll show up at church a whole lot more often, and I'll bring better offerings than I usually do. Father, just get me out of this mess. That's where Jacob was. I think we can relate to that, right? Alone and in the dark of night. So now I want to think about the encounter. I want to think about it with two parts. Our encounter with God and then God's encounter with us. Our encounter with God. Verse 20 of the chapter, I saw God face to face. So just think about it. With all those things on his mind, sitting there in the dark, 
strategizing, maybe even praying. A man rushed in. He grabbed Jacob and began a ferocious battle. I mean, who was this man? If that happened to you and, and you'd been Jacob, wouldn't you have thought, well, maybe it's Esau? Or maybe more likely, perhaps Esau has picked out his mightiest warrior to come after him? But you, you've got to remember, though, that Jacob was an incredibly strong man. Do you remember that part of the story when I told you that he lifted that boulder that only that usually took three men to do, and he was able to lift it all on his own to be able to put it on top of the well? So he was used to winning battles on his own, in his own strength. And yet this time he couldn't overcome this man. So again, who was this man? Uh, Hosea 12.4 tells us that it was an angel. Whether it was an angel or the angel of the Lord or God in flesh, as people have speculated about all this time, Jacob knew from his perspective that without question, this fighter was the one through whom God was meeting him. And again, this is the meeting that turned Jacob's life around that I want us to look at. And again, the point I want you to see is this. It is through these personal encounters with God and our response to them the changes in our lives happen. And that is why I pray when we come to church, whatever else we do, that we will hear God's voice, we will meet him and go from this place being different from what we walked in. So, I've thought about this a lot. This week, I wasn't feeling all that great this week, so I had more time to, to stop and just, I started praying and thinking about the times that I've had these kinds of encounters with God I mean, we can meet God in so many ways through his word, but there aren't there times in our lives when the, when, when the presence of God is so real that it becomes undeniable, and that's what Jacob had. And I thought about my own, and I looked at his story, and, and as I looked at it, I, I thought of three things that seem to be, to be consistent with almost everyone that I know, their encounters with God and with what I see in this. So let me pass them on to you. In these personal encounters with God, it is almost always very personal, it is individual, so that you see there in verse 24, Jacob was left alone. And it was alone that a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Now, the thing I want you to see, especially for those of you who have gone to church a whole lot in your life, you've got to remember that Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, had met God personally. It was in Genesis chapter 12. And, and Jacob's grandmother, Sarah, had met God personally. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 18. And, and Jacob's father, Isaac, had met God personally, and his mother, Rebecca, had met God personally. Now, what about Jacob? Well, it's true that he had once had this unforgettable dream, you know, going up and down the ladders that Pastor Chuck preached about a few weeks ago. And, and, and it also seems that he'd had these other encounters. And in, in, in verse 1 of chapter 32, it seems like he had seen angels. And a little bit later, verses 9 through 12, he tried praying for a while. <laughs> Though when you read that prayer, it's still Jacob just trying to enter into a relationship with God to get from God what he wanted to get from God, not, not to surrender his life to God. It was still the same. But I don't know if there was ever a time in Jacob's life where he just turned to God and he says, God, without you, I can never find what I'm looking for. I can never find that blessing. I can never really live. Had to be, it couldn't be just what his parents or grandparents had done. He, he had to have a personal surrender of faith to God himself. So I started thinking about my own 
first encounter with God. I'll never forget it. I was only six years old. It was in a little town called Beckley, West Virginia. Later, I'd moved to the big town of Bluefield, West Virginia. (laughs) And I went online. This is one of the beautiful things about going online. I was able to find, they've torn down the building, but then I saw the new one. It was at the Community Heights, uh, 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 Callaway Heights Community Church, now called the Baptist Church. I have a picture of it here for you. I want you to see. There it was. I remember going in that door. Now, on this particular morning when when I was there, uh, my father had become a Christian about six months before. And my mother just after that. I've told you that story sometimes at other times. So my my parents had entered into this relationship with God. As I was sitting there in church, I was six years old, so I was probably squirming around as most, because we didn't have nurseries back in those little churches in West Virginia. You had to sit right through the whole service and the whole sermon. And uh, as I was sitting there and I was was squirming, I'll never forget this. As, As the preacher, Hayward Lowe, and I found out he just died a couple of years ago. As he was preaching, it was as if I was the only one in the room. I felt as if that message was one that was directed just to me. Have you ever experienced that? It was just, this word, this sermon had been prepared just for me. I, I sensed this God knew me. And I also saw myself that I had many Jacob-like tendencies. <laughs> uh, deceiver, uh, grabber, Failure to tell the truth. I mean, at a, at a first grade level, I know, but it's still very real, isn't it? Uh, and I remembered my desperate need of, of forgiveness. My life needed to be different. And I, I just remembered at that point, it was so real that I had to give my life to the Lord. I, I trusted Jesus. He entered in my life. I'll tell you, even now, it was real. It began a journey that brings me even here to be able to preach in front of you today. It started with a real encounter with God. I think about these 60 years of walking with the Lord, and I've had a few of those kinds of just personal, undeniable encounters with God over the years. Often they've been in times of silence and solitude. More times than not, they've been in times just like this, when even though I would be with many other people in the church, it was as if God knew me. And each time God broke into my life, it required a conscious act on my part of surrender, a conscious act of faith in the Lord Jesus. At this point, I don't know if you feel the same as I do. When I read these stories, they just seem so ancient, so old, so many strange things in them. At this point, doesn't a story like this become so relevant to us here in our own church, in our own day? It just comes, and and to those of us who've been to church before, it just declares to us, we don't know God simply because our parents or grandparents do. There needs to be that time where we personally turn to him and say, this is real, you know me. Lord Jesus, here is my sin, here is my life, take it, I believe in you. Jesus said, and we read about it in John chapter 1, verse 18, no one has ever seen God the Father at any time except God the Son. And he makes him known that it is through faith in Jesus that we are made alive to God and born again. Uh, Today I, I pray that that first encounter, such as I've described to you myself, is true of you 
And if today you're just sort of wandering in the dark like Jacob was, I pray even today God might break in again because I'll tell you, life changes when we have an encounter with God and it is always individual and personal. The second thing about this is this. It almost always happens in a time of weakness. That's where I turn to verse 25. This man in the midst of wrestling, the man just touched the socket of his hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. I mean, I think that as Jacob was there waiting to probably meet Esau, he had always thought that he could fix things on his own. He'd always been trying to do that. He seems to be a very, very smart man, so he could figure it out. We know he was a very, very powerful man, but he was still empty inside. But in in the things as people looked at it, he had rarely lost an intellectual battle, and he'd rarely lost a physical fight. But then this thing happens seemingly out of nowhere. This man comes in, and it becomes clear in a moment that this man can just take his strength away. Just with one little touch of his finger, he is rendered, rendered crippled. I mean, anybody who could do that could do anything. And it seems to me that this may have been one of the first points in Jacob's life that he had to confess his own weakness. And that confession of his weakness is the beginning of his transformation. It seems to me it begins at at a point of pain, of need, of vulnerability, And I think that's why it is that those who have always been successful, and this might make it hard for some of us who are in in our area, those who have always been successful often find it hard just to surrender to the kingdom and to the rule of God. I mean, Jesus said as much, didn't he? He said in Mark 10, 25, uh, it it, it is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich and successful man to enter the kingdom of God, which means surrendering to a different kind of a king. Now again, this took me back to thinking about my own encounters with God. And I have to confess to you that my most profound experiences of God have always come in times of weakness or of uncertainty or personal failure. As I've thought about them, I remember, and I've told you this story so often, those times when we had the death of our uh, second daughter, the times of doubts and uncertainty and what on earth God was doing and is all of this real, where the night after she had died, I was just there alone and, and God came in and was there. Uh, it was at a time, I, I haven't told you about this, I had three years where I went through three years of, of uh, pancreas problems where the pancreas seemed to be degenerating, the pain seemed to be greater from 1992 to 94. Chris was wondering, what am I going to do? The doctor said, if I have another one of these pancreatic attacks that I'm not going to survive it. I remember being in the hospital after that third one, feeling so weak, just wondering, God, is this real? And God broke into my life and says, I am here. These are the kinds of times I remember. Do you remember any of yours? Uh, it's, it's what C.S. Lewis talked about in his problem of pain. I, I've written it here so you can see it. It says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. Sometimes I thought, Lord, can I be just as open to you and to surrendering to you so that you can give me more good times and not so many painful times? 
But I'll just I'll tell you this morning, if you've come and you feel like today you're as much in the dark as Jacob did and, and you're as uncertain and you feel as much as a failure as, as, as Jacob must have, if God has touched your life and you're feeling some pain right now, then maybe it's really the time that God is trying to say, I am ready to break into your life and really make a difference. Encounters with God almost always happen in times of weakness. And the third thing, it, it usually happens when God at last becomes the center of our focus, of our lives. And notice verse 24 and the way I've translated it here. A man broke in and he Jacobed with him uh, till daybreak. Jake, are you with me here? I'm, I'm so sure, all of you who are therapists and counselors, that if you had asked Jacob that day, what's the biggest problem in your life? He would have said, it's Esau. It's always been Esau. We fought in the womb. I fought him my whole life. As he was the apple of my father's eye, and he had the blessing that I really wanted. It was really, he was the problem who sent me away from home in the first place. <laughs> and now that I'm coming back and, and here in the dark and fighting, fighting with this man, it's still Esau. I'm going to have to meet him tomorrow. Don't, don't you think that's what he would have said? My inability to find a real life and any blessing in my life, it's always been Esau. I've been wrestling with him all of my life. His whole focus was Esau. Then this man came. And that Hebrew for wrestle, there are three letters in Hebrew, it's the very same three letters as for Jacob. He, he Jacobed with him. Because you could see it. He grabbed him, he tricked him, he toyed with him, and then with a touch, he took away all of his strength. And essentially what God was saying here is this, Jacob you think that you have been fighting with Esau your whole life, but your real battle has not been with Esau. What you've been wrestling with is me. You thought that tomorrow you were going to be meeting the one you were wrestling with. No, your real meeting is right now. I'm the one you have to get right with. I'm the one who has to come into the center of your life. You've been looking for this blessing. I promised to give you a blessing, but you've decided that you've got to find it on your own. You've made yourself your own Lord and master. I'm the one you're wrestling with till you surrender your life to me. You will never find your life. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, this is what is at the heart of a genuine relationship with God. Uh, Jacob had had all of his religious-like interactions with God. He'd been now, he'd shown up at church every week. But never had he really surrendered. It was only a means to an end. If he could get God to give him what he really wanted, give me Rachel, give me whatever I really want, then maybe I'll stick with God for a while. But really, he was running his own life. He thought he needed something else, but what he needed was God. And when he saw it, at last, God met him. Okay, that, that's his encounter. Let me just say a few words on the other side. We talk about our encounter with God, but it really is God's encounter with us, right? I mean, it really is God breaking into our lives. Uh, th this passage, as I've thought about it, says some remarkable things about how God breaks into our lives, and they're precious to me. They're precious to me. So I'm going to try to give them to you as well. That number one, God alone blesses. Did you notice verse 26? 
Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So this is the sixth week we have learned about Jacob. And each week, you, you see, Jacob had been striving to get a blessing. All of his life, he'd wanted blessing. Do you remember? He thought he could really find his life if he could take away the blessing that really belonged to his older brother Esau. And then he got it, and that wasn't it. Then I had a whole sermon that he thought he could find it if he could just somehow meet and, and marry the beautiful Rachel. And then he married her, and that wasn't it either. I imagine afterwards he thought, well, if I can just become successful and rich and have all of this, then I'll find the blessing. And he became rich and successful, and that wasn't it either. But that night at Peniel, he learned life's most important lesson, that he was made for God. He learned that God knew him. He knew that God wanted to bless him. And he knew that he needed to bring God into his life. And, and I, love, I, I love this part of the story. I tried to point it out as I was reading it. After Jacob got his new name, he turned to the man. He said, what is your name? What did the man say? He didn't say anything. <laughs> the reason is this. In, in Hebrew culture, uh, to know a person's personal name is to have some control over that person. And I can just imagine God saying, Jacob, your whole life has been you trying to control everything. It's not time for you to know my name, but I'll let you know something about me. I will right now bless you. And in saying that, he is saying, I am the God who knows you and yet ready is ready is ready to bless you, and by blessing it means fill that part of your inner being that you have always wanted to be filled. God alone can fill that place. God alone can make everything else not be the center, but be the joys when he is at the center, because God blesses. The second thing I jotted down about God breaking in, that God alone can change our lives. Verse 28, this great phrase, your name's no longer going to be Jacob. It'll be Israel. Uh, have, have you noticed that these patterns in Jacob's lives are not new? They've been, he's been doing the same thing all the time. He's still here trying to scheme. He's still trying to do it all himself. He's done that his whole life, Right? So I imagine that he felt like at this point, that's the way I live. I can't change. I'm sure his wives, Leah and Rachel, would say the same thing. He's never going to change. And let's face it, we human beings, we don't change fast or easily. Can I have a witness for that? Even if you won't admit it about yourself, that you don't change very fast. I bet you complain about your spouse or about your children. They're never going to change. And if you don't say that, I bet your children complain about you. He's never, she's never going to change. I mean, we just don't change very fast. And so sometimes there are even schools of thought that say that human beings cannot really change. We get to be fixed by the age of five or all these different ages. What do you think about that? I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, when you come to church today, if we give up our deep conviction that our lives can be different, can be changed, we give up the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because what the Bible tells us is that Jesus, the one through whom all creation was made, entered into this creation and is ready to enter into our lives. And he and he alone has the power and the love to be able to change you and me. He can recreate us. He, he, he changed Zacchaeus. He changed Zacchaeus from a greedy man to a generous man. 
he, he changed uh, Paul from a man who hated Christians to a man who even loved Gentiles and Samaritans. And, and he can change you and me too. Can you imagine being there? What is your name? Would you even want to say it? Deceiver. Grabber of what doesn't belong to me. I'm Jacob. And him turning to him and says, that doesn't have to be your script anymore. Doesn't have to be your script anymore. I'll give you a new name. One who strives, one who overcomes with God. Israel becomes the name of the entire nation. And brothers and sisters, I don't want you to leave church today without knowing that things can be different tomorrow because God has the power to change. Third thing I jotted down. Uh, God alone is willing to empty himself and enter into our weakness. This may be the, the strangest, most baffling part of the story, verse 25. When the man saw that he couldn't overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that the hip was wrenched. Do you, do you get that? I mean, here, here is someone so powerful, he just with a, just a touch, he can render, render him uh, crippled. At the same time, he says, I can't overcome him. How, how can he be both strong and weak? Do you ever wonder about that? Do you not? If you don't, I don't have to keep going. Well, I'm, I, I think I'm going to go a, anyway with this. So I've thought about it, and I thought, I can give you two illustrations of this, one imperfect and one perfect. I'll do the perfect, imperfect one first. That's me. <laughs> um, when, when my children, Heather and Brandon, were little, not the big Brandon that you've seen, but the little Brandon, when they, when, when they were little, I'd come home from work, and then I, I'd get down on the ground, and they would just pile on me in, in a mock battle. I'd, get, I'd, I'd be there on my back, and they'd come and jump on me and wrestle with me. I, I put myself in a position where I just made sure I couldn't roll over on top of them <laughs> and do any kind of damage to them because my goal was not really to win that battle. My goal was to have fun together with them and to deepen my relationship to them. Don't, don't you see that in many ways this is what God did. He certainly had the ability to do anything, to touch the tendon and render him crippled. He, with a word, he could have destroyed him. But God's goal was never and never is to harm those he loves. It is always to bless. It's an amazing thing, God putting himself in the position where he was willing to be in that position of weakness so that he could bring life and, and new life, blessing to someone that he loves. He still is that way. Does that make any sense to you? That's an imperfect illustration. You want to hear a perfect one? Yeah, thank you. Uh, I need to have somebody help me out there. Okay, we're going to be remembering it as we go to communion. When we see Jesus crucified, we see the one on the cross through whom heaven and earth was made, willing to empty himself and make himself weak so that you and I could have salvation, forgiveness of sins, and a new life. Why did he do it? Because he loves us. And the, the Apostle Paul helps us to understand this. It's like he's thinking about the Jacob story in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider that equality with God something he had to use for his own advantage, something he had to hold on to. Rather, he, and the word is, emptied himself, put himself into a place of weakness, made himself nothing by taking on the form of a servant, 
being found in human likeness. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the kind of God we worship. One who knows us, knows our failures, loves us with an everlasting love, is willing to enter into our weakness, even bear our sins in his body on the cross. The God that we see doing that for Jacob is the same one who is willing to enter into our lives, carrying the punishment for our sins that we deserve. And then not only to declare us forgiven, but to bless us and to give us a new name and a new script for our lives. The great, great Jewish storytellers, verse 31. The sun rose above Jacob. It was a new day, a new name, a new limp, but a new life. I I, I pray that will be true of you. Uh, Jacob remembered this encounter by naming that place Peniel. The Bible does that all the time. Has something very physical that people could see it. Oh, the name of this town is Peniel. God is one who can be met personally, face to face. Uh, Jesus later would remind us of what it took for us to have our personal encounter with God and told us never to forget. Gave us something very physical, very visible, so that we could remember that what happens inside, it is very real. He said, when you gather together as we are gathering, that I want you to take bread and I want you to take the cup. And remember, it takes my body and my blood in order for you to be able to be blessed and you to have eternal life. Today, I'm gonna ask our stewards to come to the table, our musicians to come forward, and we're going to do that very thing. If you're visiting with us, let me tell you about uh, the the table. This is the Lord's table. It is not Lake Avenue Church's table and it's not my table, it is his. If you have given your life to the Lord Jesus and are desiring to follow him faithfully, then please come. What we do is as the music begins to play and as you feel that you are ready, then come out from where you are, come forward to the tables and take the bread and take the cup, take them back to your seat so that we might be able to receive them together. If you can't get here, our stewards will come back and bring the elements to you. If you have a gluten allergy, you can go where Mark is. No, you have to go all the way over to Marsha. There, that's where the gluten-free elements are. And then we will come together and remember and remember that we're able to have a personal encounter with the holy God, though we ourselves are not holy because of the blood and body of Jesus. Let's pray. And then as you are ready, Please come. Father, take this passage of your word and speak to us and meet us. Father, I want to pray that if there are any here today who have never had a first-time encounter with you, a time of saying, here is my sin, will you take it? And hearing you say, I will take it and cleanse you and cast it away. Here is my life. I place my faith in Jesus. I ask Jesus to be my Savior. Father, I pray that today would be that time coming alive to you through faith in the Lord Jesus. For the rest of us, Father, as we remember the cross, help us to have a fresh meeting with you that will change our lives through the power and work of Jesus, we pray. Amen.